Good morning, Lansing. It's Saturday, and the pet experts are in the building. This is the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on more compelling talk radio, 1320 WILS. Welcome, pet keepers, to this week's MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. I'm your host, Lee Cohen, here with my co-host, the pet expert himself, Mr. Rick Bruce. Good morning, Rick. Hey, Lee, how you been today? I'm doing great, Rick, but not nearly as well as you, because the truth is I've recognized for nearly 12 years that you were the pet expert, but the truth is the media has finally <laughs> caught up and learned that you are, in fact, Lansing's pet expert as the newspaper, the City Pulse, has just done Rick, I, I can't even explain it. It's a, an extraordinary story all about you and your company and your celebration of 40 years in business. What a feature. Yeah, and the and the, the postscript to that is I am not leaving. Okay. <laughs> it may be. <laughs> I'm still here. Well, I, I will concede to you that it would make a wonderful thing if you were leaving, but at the same well, time. Everybody has to live with me still. Yeah, so. I, but no, I, I, Lifetime I, Achievement Awards are kind of an awkward thing as you get a little older, but you're not too old, and you're getting this Lifetime Achievement Award, and you're like, what does that mean? Right. <laughs> but no, I'm. it's a great honor. It's absolutely a great honor, and, and literally – impossible with characters without the characters around me from my immediate family to my larger family uh to my staff members you know i just happen to i think we talk about it in there about it being magic and all i've been is kind of the the houdini that the, i guess <laughs> i don't know i i i i i don't know how to describe it but I was trying to describe in there that I've always felt the energy that all of this was possible, right? And it started, you know, with my mother's energy, you know? It was always possible. There was always optimism. And then, you know, with the support of my family, um, you know, nothing ever got built without my brother, you know? Uh, It's just, it's great to be in a position that I'm at now to be able to look back and see what we've accomplished collectively. Well, Rick, you've accomplished enough, and this article was interesting enough that it caused me to call an audible, and what we're going to do, I I had planned on spending the whole show talking with our guest. We have with us in the studio, Sean Murphy, who is frequently a guest on the show when it comes to especially certain types of creatures, and with it being Halloween, I thought Sean would be a perfect person to talk with about that. But Rick, how do we ignore the fact that they've given you the cover of this? I never, looking at you across the table, Rick, I never perceived you as a cover boy in print. But bottom line is, you are, and that's a great thing. So we're going to talk a little bit about 40 years and what you've accomplished and all of that. And then in the second half of the show, Sean is going to take back the mantle that he rightfully deserves because he can talk about these critters better than most people that you're going to talk with. So it's going to be a very, very interesting program. But before we begin, let's talk about 
what honors you've recently received that kind of triggered this whole thing. Because in reading the story, uh, I knew about the Lifetime Achievement Award, but I had no idea that the governor has issued a proclamation about your business as well. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, got a pretty good size little cardboard uh, thing on my desk, opened it up, and it's this proclamation. Uh, came from uh, uh, Senator uh, Curtis Hertel. Hertel. Yeah. And um, our, our House of Representative, and uh, it was also signed by the Attorney uh, General and also from the governor. And I read it. Sounded pretty good. There were uh, it was it was nice. It was it was kind of rewarding. And uh, you know, you always look at these things totally unnecessary, but uh, appreciated. Right. Well, it's just great to me that they did go out of their way to recognize not just you, but your business. Because the truth is, when you made the move into Old Town. Back in the early 2000s, Old Town was a very different place than it is right now. And the truth is that I don't know if anybody, including yourself, knew, is this going to be something that we can make work? Is this something that we can pull off? Because you literally moved into an old car dealership and set up a large people-oriented business, and the truth is that I believe, and I think a lot of people would agree with me, that the rebirth of that area came about with your opening in that area. Because I remember that Old Town District back in the 80s, and after Estes Furniture moved out of that neighborhood, you were like the first really big successful business to decide to go back into that area along with elderly who's been there forever but uh it was a huge thing for old town yeah you know when i showed up it was the most inviting welcoming neighbor uh neighborhood that i could ever have imagined everybody that was there and it was pretty much the art community you know art art gallery um and and maybe some you know, uh, specialized art-oriented or d- different type of uh, uh, businesses. But no matter which one I went into, they they just would just like, please come. Mm-hmm. We'd love to have you. And uh, I remember going to Elderly's, and it was on a Friday, and I walked in there, and it was a it was a hopping place. And uh, I remember going to the person at the counter and asking him, what do you think about a pet store being? Well, I don't know if that would work. <laughs> but, but even that was kind of interesting. And I want to tell a story. There's a customer that comes in on an ongoing basis. And um, the, he comes in he before in our old store, and then he comes into this store. And I remember him giving me pretty much the riot act for moving into that neighborhood and suggesting that there was no chance that we were going to make it because I essentially moved into the slums is how he, right. you know, in bad part of town, bad neighborhood. Hey, you it was know? the home of the ribbon bird. Come on. <laughs> so so <laughs> I just, you know, I listened to him. And to this day, he comes in and he's one friendly person and he appreciates being there. And I feel like he's a changed person. Right. Maybe not, but at least he goes into our store and has a different perception of the neighborhood, of people around 
and that maybe, hey, maybe he was wrong. Well, maybe he shouldn't be so judgmental. Well, Rick, I would call it the Pied Piper effect because the truth is that uh, that was a rough neighborhood. I worked in that neighborhood back in the 80s while I was a student at Michigan State. And I've got to tell you, it was an area that I looked both ways during the day to make sure everything was okay but it was a tough neighborhood and then you decided to make a commitment to there other people have made commitments into that area it's been rebuilt we've got now very successful businesses that are locating in that area and it's doing great so uh it, it it's a great story but we need to take a break uh when we come back from the break we'll tell the story of Proust Pats and 40 years of of growth and Rick Proust getting the attention he deserves by being on the cover of the City Pulse so that's what we'll talk about right here on 1320 WILS hey got some ideas for a show questions maybe suggestions just email us mmpets at 1320WILS.com or message us on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash MMPets. You're listening to the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show with Rick Pruse and Lee Cohen on 1320WILS. We're back here with the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show, and we're talking this morning all about the article that has graced the cover of the City Pulse newspaper this week, featuring a cartoonish Rick Proust <laughs> <laughs> and his celebration of 40 years in business and his receiving some very prestigious national awards for lifetime achievement and a proclamation by the governor. Rick, I almost feel like, well, I've always felt like I don't know what the hell I'm doing in the same room as you because you're doing a heck of a job and I'm just some schmo. But bottom line is, how do you handle all of this prestige that's coming your way? Well, you're not a schmo. Well, thank you. I love you, Lee. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) It is a little bit um, feeling with a lot of emotions, a little bit of like, Anxiety, uh, the anxiety mainly runs centered that there's lots of individuals in my life that basically have allowed me to be that kind of center figure that people look at and, you know, I take on that responsibility. But so many other people that are surrounding me um, are responsible for the fact that I'm sitting here. Well, Rick, let's tell everyone kind of how uh, the whole thing began. For people who haven't read the article, you talk about your early beginnings with your mother and the impression that she made upon you because the truth is you are not the originator of of the Proust and Pets intersection. That was something yeah. that came from your mother. And frankly, for a lot of people who don't know it, they don't realize the degree of impression that your mother made upon you. Because I'm absolutely convinced that without her, I don't know that this version of Rick Proust necessarily exists and is in our market. No, uh, certainly I would not be a in the pet store business, I, I can promise you that. Uh, my mother is the one that brought the energy when I was just uh, six years, five, six years old. Had kind of this venturous, willing to take risk, purpose-driven approach. And um, 
she wasn't allowed to have pets when she was growing up. And uh, that probably put a little bit of energy behind that, right? And then found great reward in this connection she started to make as she got into the aquarium hobby. She found, I think, more connection in relating to people about the hobby. And the first pet st- uh, fish store that we had was not much bigger than the office we're in. You know, it's probably the size of these two offices, right. right? And it just was loaded with fish fish tanks and bubble-up corner filters, which meant that the noise was just this hypnotic, beautiful, restful background for which my mother would just, every time she'd open her mouth as a young son, I would watch, and, and they, she would just have this gift to connect with people. Uh, when she was mentioned in the article, there was an article similar to this made for her, and when she was asked, and this is after she found out she had cancer, and, um, you know, what was the magic ingredient? And for her, the magic ingredient was love, you know, that that was the backdrop. And I was trying to mention in the article that, you know, my backdrop is kind of similar. You know, mine, you know, what is your backdrop that you work from? You know, if you're a backdrop of how do we make money, it's going to have a certain way you exercise what you do. If you have a backdrop of love, it's going to have a certain way you exercise what you do. And mine is love, but it's love for both people and pets, you know, and that connection of the two. And more importantly, what walks out the door? What walks out the door? Does a positive, fun, interactive experience between their pets and the people, and therefore the quality of life of those peoples go up? Or not. And and so it's just a carrying on of that kind of, you know, background of love that my mother always had. That's just the way I connect with it and I can connect and it's in, in, in that vantage in that point. Well it's funny because the we've all talked about the pandemic ad nauseum for two years now, but the truth is there's another pandemic that is a positive one that you've been involved with, which is people and animals and the joy that animals can bring to people's lives. And all of a sudden, in the last two years, the number of people with pets has exploded. And it's so funny because you see people who never necessarily had that love that you talk about or understood it until all of a sudden, because of being stuck at home and involved in a pandemic, they went out and got a pet. And it's so funny to watch them because now they are every bit as addicted to their pet as everybody who they looked past for years. And I've got to say, it's got to be rewarding for you to see all of these new pet owners because they're discovering the joy you discovered as a five-year-old. I was having a conversation with Sean. Sean is here before we even got on the show. And, you know, let's even take COVID off the, uh, off the table and let's just talk about the people that come into our store both staff members and the people that are our customers. In the article, we bring up the idea that what is it that makes a Proust Pets employee? Why is it that there's so many colorful people that are part of that? And Sean, you are well adorned with uh, <laughs> with, with, with lots of tattoos, but it, it's of all walks of life, right? And they asked me that. And, um, you know, the reality is, is that to find people that genuinely care about people and pets and the relationship between those two and actually are able to formulate that into an effective exercise in retail, right? right. To make something good happen from that. You can't, you cannot limit 
the selection of individuals that you select for that. And then on the flip side to it, and Sean and I were talking about that, you can't limit the clientele that shows. You don't have a store like we have with with what what comes in that door and the numbers of people. We, we are supporting over 60 employees in a single building. Right. That doesn't happen by being exclusive. Exclu- exclusionary, yes. uh, if that's a word. Um, that happens by being inclusive, like everybody's welcome. And you were mentioning um, just even ethnic diversity now versus years before. Yeah, I mean, I, I worked at the store when we opened up in Old Town for a number of years, I think seven years before I left for the zoo world and then came back. Um, and it was a very specific clientele. It was your typical kind of like middle class, upper middle class white family would come in and when we'd have uh, a minority family came in, come in, we'd be like, oh, wow, this is, like, really cool. And now because of where we are located and the fact that Rick created a culture that is about looking at the person for who they are and meeting their needs and the animal's needs, you can come into the store and it's just a wide array of everybody, gay, straight, transgender, uh, black, white, Mexican, Asian. It doesn't matter. Yeah. What it is about is making the connection of making sure that we have the right companion animal for the right person. You may be a loner who just wants a fish take and stare at all day. It doesn't matter what you look like inside or out. It's about the connection you have with that animal. And it's the same throughout that entire store. And it's just amazing to me watching that transformation over the years that I I don't want to like humble brag and be like, Bruce is the reason Old Town is the way it is, but Rick decided long ago that this is the business model, this is how it's going to work, and it will work. You have to have the right people behind it to do it. People, I've been turned down for jobs with the way I look, and I don't really have offensive tattoos, and you know my face isn't covered or anything like that, but he looks at me for what I can do, my passions, my drives, how I can get stuff done, and that's what he sees in every employee that comes to the door. It doesn't matter if you have a purple mohawk or rainbow-colored hair, or multiple piercings and tattoos. What he's looking at is what are you offering as a person rather than as an aesthetic. And that's what's made the store work. Right. No, there's no question about it. Although, Sean, in your case, I will say I don't think the tattoos are as memorable as the live cockroaches in your mouth <laughs> that put you into the Guinness Book of World Records. Uh, among other things, yeah. yeah <laughs> but, you know. but at the same time, I agree with you that when you walk into Proust, you walk into a world of essentially no judgments. And it doesn't matter if you have long green hair or in my case none uh you're going to be welcome and you're going to be treated well and taught the information that it takes to love an animal as a matter of fact last week mark stevens was our guest uh in the studio and he and i were talking about his old days working in a fish store and I said to him that the reason why Rick Bruce has been on the radio with me for almost 12 years is because it didn't matter who owned a pet store. If, if you weren't Rick Bruce with the explanation and the joy that you bring in every answer, this radio show is off the air 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. But it's the fact that he has that feeling that that passion and he can't help himself 
than to, to let it out on a regular basis. And the truth is, I'm I'm so happy for him because he's about to have his first grandchild, and I can't wait to hear the storytelling <laughs> that will go on between Rick so and com- that grandchild. <laughs> the comparison I always make, and it sounds goofy at first, but as Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, when they first walk out on the factory floor in pure imagination place. Yes. And like Gene Wilder had this look of just bliss on Joy. his face of, of yes. what he's doing. And when you watch Rick explain fish mechanics to somebody, it's that same thing. He's got this world of just pure joy and imagination that he now gets to share with somebody. And that was the aesthetic of the store that you built was like, let's walk in and just be like, yeah. wow, there's nothing like this in the world. Right. And well, I feel like we've accomplished that and we're continuing to accomplish that. No question. It is a wow store. Rick, we need to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to shift gears and start focusing on the Halloween holiday and what animals are a part of it right here on 1320 WILS. You're listening to the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. It's 9.35 and we're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And we have with us in the studio Sean Murphy, who is with Pruce Pets. And Sean, I've got to say I feel remiss because it's going to be Halloween coming up. And you guys have so much that you're going to be doing tied to Halloween. But it's so important to tell the story of the animals that are associated with Halloween because some of them maybe don't get the best attention or headlines that they deserve. But before we get into that, first let's talk about what is it that Bruce has planned this year for celebrating Halloween? Uh, Well, every year we try to do a dog trick-or-treating and uh, dog Halloween costume contest. Mm -hmm. And last year we put on a smaller version of that because of covid Uh, We were able to figure quite a few things out, and this year we came up with having the dog Halloween on Friday, October 29th. So that's a dog trick-or-treating that we're doing a little bit earlier than we used to. So we're going to do 4 to 7 p.m., and it's actually all throughout Old Town. So we have maps printed out um, at the store that you can come pick up when it's time to trick-or-treat. We have just a wide array of businesses throughout Old Town that are going to be handing out dog treats. Uh, So we kind of created like a little community where the dogs can go out and have fun and dress up. And then like part of that entire weekend is that we also have the costume contest Mm -hmm. and we'll have a photographer out there taking professional photos of the dogs. We'll end up posting all those up online and then having a, a costume contest by voting. And I tell you, every year the costumes get just so elaborate to the point it's like ridiculous but in that absolutely fantastic way where like we have customers who are spending like a half a year prepping their costumes and literally last year after we finished up we had people ready for the next year and said they already have their ideas and they're already going to start building them that right then and there to get ready for the next year yeah no it's it's a huge following the main thing we've done differently for those who are listening because of covid we're not out of it yet and uh, we want to keep some more social distance so that instead of being under a tent 
where we're all underneath and going down the runway and and being in close proximity. It'll be the get your registration, walk around Old Town, but then get your picture. Right. And and then we can judge off of that, and we don't have to have the runway application in order to make it happen. Everybody can have fun, and we will have a lot of vendors out there, table after table of uh various representatives from nonprofits to businesses that uh, we, we endorse that are that are associated with our store. Right. Uh, well, it's a lot of fun to watch because I remember being out there a couple of years ago, and I mean, we had over 100 dogs that were dressed up in yeah. these very elaborate costumes, yeah. and the dog parents dress up in the very elaborate costumes, yeah. too. Yeah. And it just makes for a very, very fun evening. Now, one of the other things that you guys have got going there that I know I'm looking forward to because he's going to join us next week on the show is the return of Stan the Spider-Man from Calgary. And Stan is always just a phenomenal guest when he brings in. Stan Schultz literally wrote the book on tarantulas. Literally because it is The Tarantula Keeper's Guide by Stan Schultz. And he'll be at the store on Saturday, October 30th from 4 to 7. And with that, we will have various invertebrates, mainly tarantulas, stationed up at different parts of the store um, as an educational opportunity to go from booth to booth to learn about why these animals are so cool and unique and why you really need not be afraid of them. Right. Well, that's just always a phenomenal thing because I can recall times where Stan has brought in black widow spiders, and I'd never seen one before or since. Hopefully, not, that not I'm complaining. Since. Not that yeah. I'm complaining. You, you want I'm it planned out, that. right? You want it yeah. controlled. <laughs> but at the same time, it's just such an interesting conversation to have with them, and so that's a great, great part of the whole event. Anything else that you guys are doing? Um, I think there's trick or treating on on Sunday. On we Sunday for for kids yep. uh, throughout Old Town. Okay, so you go trick or treating as well. So yeah, the way the dates worked out this year, it was pretty perfect to be able to do a Friday, Saturday, Sunday style event with one thing going on each day, so we could kind of hone in and focus instead of no. trying to. Hold it all together. Like a Halloween weekend. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, that's fantastic. And it sounds like it's going to be a great time for everybody who participates. Now, let's talk about what you just mentioned, because you were saying that tarantulas sometimes kind of get a bad rap when it comes to the scariness factor. And they're not the only animals that you carry uh, that do as well. I mean, we've always heard of black cats. And I even recall times where uh, some of the shelters would stop allowing people to adopt a cat during Halloween because they were afraid of of bad treatment. But it's black cats that people are afraid of. Snakes mm-hmm. are are another one that people are afraid of. The one that I don't understand is dragons because trying to look at the lore of of the Chinese, it seems like dragons are almost a favorable animal, not one that people should be scared of. So, Sean, talk with me about... Dragons how- are a little easier not to be afraid of when you actually realize there are no dragons. Yes. Well, we have, we have I mean, nothing they're, that they're, breathes they're, fire. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's true. I mean, it's, it's nice to have a, a lore of that, and, and but it's kind of... You're not going to come across one of, when you walk around the neighborhood. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, where but, you will a spider, you will a snake. You know, you will have those animals that uh, you know. It depends on who the person is. You know, some people have phobias on on birds, just birds. And uh, but just this exposure to spiders and snakes for the hol- Halloween theme. You know, I, I have mixed feelings about it. I mean, it gives some popularity. Stan Schultz's Tarantula Night is is just um, a perfect example of, you know, let's get the right message out there. Right. But there's more people that are going to be afraid of snakes and afraid of uh, spiders, if you will, well, because can... they are uh, kind of villainized. Right. Well, and bats, too, because I can recall a lot of stories about bats being negative, And then when I heard how many mosquitoes they eat, I all of a sudden fell in love with the bat. Well, <laughs> I, I think what the middle ground between the two of you right now is it's all about culture. It's about how you were raised, where you were raised, and the messages that you were given growing up. So in Chinese folklore, dragons are typically a sign of good luck. But medieval folklore, they're these gigantic fire-breathing entities that would, you know, wipe out armies. So it really depends on, like, where you come from. Yeah. And all that stuff kind of carries over from generation to generation. So when we talked about earlier finding the right pet for the right person, sometimes a tarantula is the perfect pet for the right person. And then the part of the store is the educational aspect we've always offered to that. I can tell you the dozens of people, if not more, that I've helped get over their fear of snakes and spiders by simply having them step into the department. And then the next time they come, take five more steps in and then get in front of the enclosure. Then let me open the door and then let me take it out. And over the course of sometimes weeks or months, we've had people completely go over their fear to the point I've even sold tarantulas the people who initially were deathly afraid of them because it became that understanding you have to re-educate somebody on all the mythos that they grew up on and once you can get past those um i guess those myths and uh you know falsities that they have growing up and realize you have a gentle kind of harmless creature in front of you then you can become more accepting of it Well, let's talk about some of those myths, because I guess I'll ask you the question, what are the odds of finding uh, one of these animals that will do harm? Because the truth is, if I understand it correctly, there are only one or two poisonous snakes that are even found in the state of Michigan, and they're pretty rare. Is that correct? Well, there are absolutely no poisonous snakes in okay. Michigan. Okay. We have one venomous species. Okay. So this gets into the really fun realm and the, the science of it all. Uh, a venom is injected into you. So a snake bite is venomous if you have a rattlesnake. Uh, but poison is something that's going to be ingested. So chemicals under your sink that have the crossbones on it says do not ingest. That's a toxic chemical. So when it comes down to it, Poisons and venoms are both toxic, but it has to do with the method of delivery. Now, when we look at the animals that people typically find dangerous, it's because they do have a venom to them. But what we need to educate the general public on is what are the odds you're going to run into that animal, which in the state of Michigan with the Mossasauga rattlesnake, less than a 1% chance you'll ever see one in your life. When it comes to running into something like a brown recluse or a black widow, probably less than a 5% chance you'll ever see one. But what we don't realize is that mosquitoes are technically venomous. You know, they're delivering a little bit of a chemical into you every time you bite. To, that's an anticoagulant that allows them to suck more blood up. So there's a lot of really cool science behind it. But over the years, you know, obviously it's been convoluted and kind of changed up to make people scared of them. 
But when it comes down to it, no matter what, with any wild animal, whether it's the snake or whether it's the brown recluse or whether it's a bird, it's a wild animal, you let it be. You leave them alone, they leave you alone. And that's kind of the general rule of nature is we're there to observe. It, it goes back to that saying, like, leave only footprints. You know, go in, observe, take pictures, but there's no reason to ever really handle this stuff. And once you stop trying to, like, really, I guess, you know, mess with nature, the less likely you are to have anything happen to you. Interesting. We're talking this morning with Sean Murphy from Bruce Pats, and Rick will be back right here after the break on 1320 WILS. 1320 WILS and the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. Now, back to Rick Pruse and Lee Cohen. We're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show, and we're talking this morning with Sean Murphy from Pruse Pets. And, Sean, during the break we were talking about some of the other animals that, again, have these reputations for whatever reason that aren't always appropriate. Let's circle back to the black cats because Cats, in my experience, they're always headstrong, but bottom line is they're wonderful pets. I know people who adore their their cats, but what color fur, why does that matter? What, what is it about black cats that have created the reputation they have? Uh, the fun part of human history is being able to look back at stuff and laugh and just kind of wonder why, why did we ever come to that conclusion. And the black cats came back to uh, the witch trials, um, even going back into the 17th century. Prior to that, there was different mythoses and different cultures. But for the most part, because they were black and witchcraft was considered a black art. And so it became kind of this creepy, mystical kind of thing. They automatically started associating black cats with witches um, just by pure coincidence. And that just carried on for centuries, for whatever reason, to a point where shelters couldn't even adopt out black cats for the longest time because people just saw them as a sign of bad luck. You know, there's don't like the black cat cross in front of you or, or if you see a black cat, you're about to be bestowed with bad luck. Um, all those were just like mythos built into our culture. Uh, but really, a, a, my cat at home is black and he, he's a dog. I mean, he just he follows me around. He <laughs> jumps on my lap. He hits my hand if I'm not petting him. He knows... 9.30 every night is treat time, and he starts talking to me, telling me that it's time. Like, I couldn't imagine having a better cat than him. Um, so I think we just kind of get this built up in our head. And, you know, that, of course, like with Halloween, All Hallows Weave, uh, Devil's Night, everything else, we're like, oh, it's like the creepy black cat. Because I think some of it is it's dark, you know, it's nighttime, whatever, and then all of a sudden there's a cat there. And you see these eyes glowing at you, and there's like that kind of like demon perspective where – you see a shadowy outline and the ears are up and they kind of look like horns and the eyes are glowing in the dark at you. And that's just a cat. It just walks out in front right. of you. <laughs> I was going to suggest that I know at least locally and, and more nationally, that's become less of an issue with humane societies and animal controls and such. Uh, there, there is a bit more raised consciousness and a bit more realistic perspective on, on the whole idea of adopting out black cats. It's nice to see that growth as well because just practically I think well either just before we started this radio show you know 10 12 years ago it was still the case right and uh, and so there's there's a history there but luckily we're out of that uh, well, one one pet that I find particularly interesting that definitely carries 
a whole different meaning for different people. And culture is the important thing here, and that is what culture did the rat grow up in, right? Yeah. But rats can have quite the misnomer, and it's true. A rat in the wild is not certainly a, a thing you want to deal with. Right. Uh, they definitely, because of their nature— goes back nature, to the plague. Well, it's not, I mean, what I'm simply saying is that if you were to meet a wild rat— it's not going to be friendly to humans, no, right. but that's not by the nature of anything other than its own survival skills, right? But talk a little bit about rats and rats as pets. Yeah, so the the wild rat, again, completely different than the domesticated rat that we see. The domesticated rats we have are literally pocket dogs, um, know their name, they can learn tricks, they can litter train, they're social, they're clean, they enjoy cleaning and preening. Uh, my rat at home will run up and bite off hangnails and then take out all the dirt from underneath my fingernails. He'll try to grab my earrings and pull them out and clean them off. They are very, very cuddly, social, loving animals. Um, on the flip side, I've worked on a farm and I've had wild rats getting in the chicken coops and stuff, and it's a fight or flight reflex. They, mm-hmm. They're literally a food item for other animals and they, they will fight the way that they need to do. I think uh, the misnomer that's come about through all of this is you mentioned plague rats, uh, but also throughout human history, Animals like this that we consider pests are going to live where there is available food sources and available shelter. And more often than not, garbage piles end up being that place. There's lots of places to hide. Rodents can fit into anything the size of their skull. They can get their head through it. No matter how big their body is, they can basically push themselves through. And they like to be in small, tight spaces so predators can't find them. Well, it just so happens that things like dumps or like you go way back centuries into like sewage piles and stuff, that's where available food was. So then we had that whole um, mythos coming out like, oh, they're dirty and they're carrying disease. What we're starting to find out now is that the plague rats may have not actually been the ones carrying disease. It may have been the mites on their backs. So they would just happen to be the like a secondary vector of all the plague, but it was you know more likely a parasite that caused it. But... That's what we learned through years and years and years. Now, something we've been able to do at the store is we breed rats there, and we have customers who breed rats, and we have some of the cutest, cuddliest, most adorable-looking rats you've ever seen. And you look at them with their big Dumbo ears and their curly whiskers, and them running up to you and, like, licking their hands and washing their face off and then running around your hand. I, I couldn't imagine not having one as a pet. Well, and you talk about the importance of education, and uh, I can vouch for that in one degree because one of the other animals that are associated with it, I don't know if animal is actually even the correct uh, description of it, but bats mm-hmm. are something that are frequently associated with Halloween. And I admit I've, I've been somewhat timid around them when they've gotten into my home. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, as we've interviewed, people on this show and I've heard how many mosquitoes they eat and frankly how much help they are in the backyard with what they do they actually are creatures that you want to have around oh, yeah. not not around so how did the bats get the story is it pure Hollywood pretty much yeah like uh, you go back to like the Nosferatu and then like uh, Curse of Dracula movies and everything else there was this transformation that it was an animal, a demon of the night, and there's this transformative thing among vampires, and they just kind of made this culture that, oh, like, you know, vampires only come out at night, we only see bats at night. Uh, vampires are elusive, we hardly see them. 
bats are elusive. We hardly see them. Uh, they're quick. They're suddenly in your face where you didn't know they were there. So there's a lot of this like scare factor and jump factor to all of them. But really, bats want nothing to do with you. Bats don't attack. You, you hear about people like, oh, I got bit. Most of it was your bat got stuck in the house. It's trying to figure out, you know, where the heck am I? It's using its sonar. It's bouncing off everywhere, so they're freaking out. And then they inadvertently end up landing on somebody. And then just like with the rat, it's a fight-or-flight reflex. Like, oh, I feel like I'm being attacked. I'll, I'll bite. But, I mean, I've worked with multiple species of bats, and they're actually very, very gentle creatures. They're, they're cute when you actually get up close and really look at them and you start to learn about how they work. But a lot of that is, is Hollywood that really gave us the bats. And then in more recent times, it, it's the fallacy that like they just carry rabies, that automatically you're going to get rabies from a bat. Well, depending on what your state you're in, it's been decades you know, since there's ever been a reported rabies case from a bat. Not to say that it can't happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you, if there's one thing that I've learned about the uh, state of Michigan and the um, DNR and public health is rabies is <laughs> no joke. So you don't want to, whether it's, um, you know, raccoons don't have, haven't had, I don't believe, rabies here in Michigan, but there are states that they do. Right. And so you never know when it might be. Bats the same way. You know, there there are cases of rabies in bats in Michigan. So the, I guess the single message would be fully appreciate them for who they are and what they are and what they provide. Mm-hmm. Just keep your distance. Yeah. You know, just keep your distance. You, know, you mentioned the amount of mosquitoes that they eat. I mean, a, a bat house full of bats can eat thousands and thousands of mosquitoes a night. Not to mention that they are also one of the world's top pollinators. And that's something that like, people don't really think about, but them flying around, they're catching pollen on their fur and they're dropping it everywhere. So they're actually very, very essential to every ecosystem that they're in. And unfortunately, uh, throughout the world, uh, you know, they're being decimated species after species due to fungal issues that are, right. you know, spreading around the world. You know, is it, um, you know, certainly... Uh, uh, climate change is not helping, uh, creating a different climate that they have to live in. Um, the uh, degradation of their ecosystem, um, you know, that's not helping. And um, uh, just overall stresses, biological stressors that are out there. So uh, we have to respect and appreciate bats, but also, you know, have a cautionary note. Well, yeah. I, I think it's great that you guys help educate the public about all of these creatures because some of them, as you've described, make absolutely excellent pets for people. But you have to learn to overcome the myth that has existed previously for whatever reason. So uh, great conversation. Sean, thank you so yeah, much for coming in. And I wish you guys the best of luck with the Halloween celebration. Next week, we're going to be back. And again, we're going to have Stan the Spider-Man from Calgary. So I'm already looking forward to that conversation. But on behalf of Rick Bruce and our producer, Bruce, we are thrilled to talk with you this week. Please, please, all of you, take good care of your pets and have a great week, everybody. 